welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? It's good. What do we got this week? Well, we never finished our conversation from last week. So just to bring everybody up to speed in case uh, you forgot about what uh, the, the, the scenario here, there was somebody who wrote out wrote to me who saw a presentation at ASHA and had some questions about someone they were working with. That someone that they're working with is a 17-year-old uh, student who has spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, uh, uses eye gaze, has cortical visual impairment, and occasionally uses switches as well loves formula racing uh formula one racing uh i don't know if there's a formula two racing i'm not i don't know racing as much as i should rachel but there's a formula one racing so race cars uh dogs and the tv show teen titans and they've tried some different games i wrote back with some suggestions we talked last week about some suggestions but we ran out of time we have even more ideas of things to try so one of those things you know what i'm gonna say is let's let's do some robots let's do some coding right let's get some uh coding in a digital way, but then robots in a very tactile, hands-on way um, where the student could be programming the robots. So let's get those. There's uh, uh, those those in place if we if possible. Um, and if you don't have a tactile robot that you can bring for the student, then there are virtual ones. Now, again, it's not described really well in the email what the cortical visual impairment is right now, meaning um, are they just diagnosed? Have they been working therapeutically and they're, uh, it's gotten better? Is there a certain stage that they're at? Um, so I don't know exactly for sure. I wanted to add, Chris, just for our listeners who are like cortical visual impairment, because I feel like we assume that everybody knows what that is. Uh, so cortical visual impairment is not any type of visual impairment that has to do with acuity. So these kids can see, right? There's no like blindness or partial blindness. It's not a problem with actually being able to have visual acuity, it's visual processing. So these kids are not able to process the information that they're seeing. Definitely recommend going back and listening to our episodes on cortical visual impairment um, because it definitely can go under the radar for a long time. Um, Many of the students that I've worked with have gone years without anybody realizing that there's a cortical visual impairment. Um, And the reason this is important is because, you know, we are working with kids with complex communication needs, we're introducing AAC, and if we're not, you know, supporting the vision piece because they have CVI, um, kids will look like they're not making progress um, because they're not able to visually access their environment. Um, And we know with CVI that kids vision can improve. Their visual processing can improve with the right intervention and the right therapy. Um, so anyway, just want to take a second to make sure every, we're all on the same page when it comes to CVI. Um, definitely recommend going to talkingwithtech.org, searching CVI. All of our episodes that you know we've talked about CVI will come up. Um, definitely worth listening to because, again, I've had so many students where you know, I just like have this feeling like something is not right. Um, and they're showing signs of CVI and I recommend um, them, the family go get an assessment. And sure enough, they come back with a diagnosis of CVI and it can completely change the game for the entire team on what kinds of things they're doing, how they're supporting the student, not just with communication, but also academically. Um, so anyway, want to take a second, shout out, learn more about CVI, it's really important. Excellent reminder. Thank you for doing that, uh, Rachel, and uh, pausing for a second to describe what it is and to give that excellent strategy of going to talkingwithtech.org and typing in cortical visual impairment because all of the episodes come up and it's such a great little like uh, mini course you can take because of all the different people we've interviewed. Um, So one of the suggestions, again, going back to the coding and robots is why I was sort of suggesting that with CBI in mind, not knowing exactly what the student can um, see and not see based on the description of, you know, what I got in an email, uh, was that, in fact, there's an episode that we've done with Jane Odom where Jane and I were at a conference together and explored uh, what, what at the time was a new feature that just came out on iPads called voice control. It's an accessibility feature that came out and we tested it. So there are certain coding applications that you can use and the way it works 
is uh, you turn on voice control and the iPad is constantly listening. Uh, when that, that comes up, there are little numbers that come up over the different commands that you might otherwise be touching or accessing uh, through a touch through the touch screen. So the numbers say like, you know, if you press, if you say number one, it's like activating the first thing on the screen. If you say number two, it activates the next thing. So there are certain applications, coding applications and beyond games that you can control completely just using your voice. And so AAC users could say, say one, say two, say three, or whatever the commands are uh, to activate different parts of the screen. And then from that, by extension there, you could be actually doing coding. Uh, an example there is Swift Playgrounds is an app that is on the iPad that will allow you to do that. And there's there are others, but that's one certainly put out by Apple that we know works really well with voice control. So that's something I thought would be worthwhile exploring is controlling robots and uh, playing with robots and playing with uh, coding. Chris, for all of our listeners out there, like this was me a year ago. This was me before your robots presentation. Who are like, robots, that sounds so hard. That sounds like not me. Like, I don't know how to do that. Where do people start with robots? Uh, well, okay. The first thing I think is to kind of understand uh, what block coding is, which are just these puzzle pieces that are most block coding programs. They have a, a, a palette of commands on the left-hand side and a blank canvas over on the right-hand side. And you drag these puzzle pieces over, they snap into place. And when you hit a play button, it follows the commands that you've put in, that you've locked in place, these puzzle pieces putting in place. Those commands then go to what is called a sprite or um, a robot or goes to something that follows those commands. So a great place to go is code.org. They have um, some easy ones to wrap your brain around. And still, I always start with the Star Wars one. You know, I've talked about it before, but there's a Frozen one. There's a Minecraft one um, that give you sort of a, a very basic, oh, so you drag this here and hit a play button? Oh, okay, I see how this works. And then it takes you to level two where, okay, I have to drag two puzzle pieces over and hit a play button? Oh, okay. Okay, I see how this works, and it gets progressively more difficult. So that's a place that I would start to kind of learn more. All free stuff, you know, minimal amount of time to get started on that. No, so I think that is um, where I would start. So one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I, I think that sometimes we have this um, this feeling like, oh, like I couldn't possibly just like watch a Formula One race with a student during our therapy, or I couldn't possibly watch an episode of Teen Titans. And I feel like if we're thinking big picture, we zoom out, like what is our therapy really supposed to do? It's supposed to help our students in their daily lives doing their favorite things, right? Like let's help kids communicate about their favorite things and when I hear like TV shows, movies, characters, it's like, those are a lot of kids' favorite things. <laughs> so why would we not pull? <laughs> okay, Chris, they're your favorite things too. <laughs> they're everyone's favorite things. Like, what are we talking about when we like head into work? It's like, oh my gosh, did you see that episode of? Oh my gosh, like I saw the best movie this weekend, right? So it's just like, why would we not pull that into the therapy that we're doing? Because so often our kids with complex communication needs, they have to just have a passive experience with, with viewing of movies and television shows. They don't have, you know, the experience of being able to talk about what happened and talk about what's going to happen next and comment. Um, and so I find that using kids TV shows and all of those things that then we know they love and they like to do, you know, when they're not in therapy, um, pull those things into the sessions that you're, you know, having with students and give them an authentic purpose to talk about something that's really exciting to them. Um, we also know that kids are so stuck typically in just asking for things, um, just requesting the things in their environment. Um, so, you know, we don't have to use Teen Titans Go as a way to request it, right? Like let's pull up an episode and watch it together and pause it and talk about it and teach kids how to comment about the things that they're seeing on their favorite show, knowing that that is probably gonna generalize to home when they're watching Teen Titans Go and you know to lots of different environments because one, they're motivated and two, you know it's something that they do 
right? Versus a game that we pull in, like, sure, we can play Candyland or whatever game we decide could be good in that moment. But if the child doesn't have access to that at home, how are those skills actually going to generalize? Um, so I just want to, I want to give everyone permission to use YouTube and Netflix and all of these things that kids love during your sessions to help kids learn how to communicate about the things that are meaningful to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll add to that, maybe authentically listening to them as they share what they really love about those things, you know, being, well, I don't like, maybe I don't care about Teen Titans Go, but maybe you might if someone's super excited about it and and they explain what they like about it and they share what they like about it, then you can be authentically into it as well. You know, I want to share one more thing in a similar vein. I had a student, this is about a year ago, student was not using AAC at all, super resistant. You know, he had lots of experiences where people were just using it to tell him what to do and like super, super academic things. And he was like, no. So we just started associating his device with work and like not fun work. So student wasn't using the AAC. I was like, we need a serious rebrand right now. And I was like, got the whole team on board. I was like, do not do things that are not fun on this device. I was like, this is, and it really, you know, it was a critical moment because if you keep introducing AAC and doing it in a way that's not fun, like you risk having kids completely abandon AAC and they're like, no, never doing that. Too many negative associations, not going there. So anyway, the way that we got this student using his AAC system was programming all of his favorite Paw Patrol characters into the AAC and This kid was running to his backpack, pulling his AAC out, bringing it to a communication partner and talking about Paw Patrol. So it's like just a really important reminder. One, when a child's not using their AAC, the first question to ask yourself, am I teaching them how to communicate about things that are fun? Do I have vocabulary on their AAC systems that they're excited to use uh, to talk about the things that they love? Um, And sometimes we have to kind of you know, put all of our goals and all of those things aside, all the core, even sometimes core words, right? It's like, I need to get kids bought in first. And the moment they're like running to their backpack to get their AAC out, I'm like, this is a huge win. Then we can, you know, keep building their language and keep expanding their vocabulary and start modeling core words, you know, but sometimes we need to just get that buy-in and, you know, it's, it's really important that we think about what is this child most motivated to communicate about. So I had one last suggestion as well, Rachel, and that was leaning into, again, what the student is motivated by. We know the student likes Formula One racing. What are other 17-year-olds doing around Formula One racing? They're racing, right? They're playing video games um, that are racing games or uh, have some sort of other vehicles in them. So, for instance, uh, Rocket League is a game that is a um, one of the games that is actually featured in a lot of esports uh, organizations, which is, again, right in line for someone who's maybe 17, who is 17 years old in high school, right? Uh, there are esports organizations all over the country and the world of kids playing esports, um, which are video game competitions, right? It's Esports is the same as uh, football or basketball or whatever. It's a sports league, but a centered around a video game and then there's different games that people play and one of those games is rocket league Uh, are you familiar with rocket league rachel no tell me everything all right it's soccer okay so you're playing soccer but instead of being a person running around kicking a ball you're driving a rocket controlled car right so you're driving a car around and it's this giant ball that you're smashing your car into and you're in a giant indoor arena um, where the balls fly around and they go into the goal and they make these big splash noise, you know, and there's different um, uh, different aspects to it, like different physical aspects to it. Like um, you can get different uh, cars and you can get different, um, I don't know, different attributes that you can add to the car uh, to make it go faster and stuff like that. The idea is you're playing soccer with rocket-controlled cars. It's super fun, right? And it is um, something that can be controlled on a on an Xbox. There's a feature out of, of an Xbox called uh, Copilot, which means even if you can't control the car, you're like, well, Chris, do you remember quadriplegic, cortical visual impairment? Um, how is the student going to control the car? 
uh, well, the student is using some sort of switches, right? So um, with uh, probably head mo movements or some sort of uh, body movements of the um, muscular movements of her face, um, I'm guessing there, don't know for sure, but with quadriplegia, it's probably it. Um, and so the co-pilot allows you to have some control of the car you control like how fast it goes or turning it or something like that where someone else controls a different aspect of it like like i said how fast it goes or um turning it or braking or something like that or um so so you can play with a buddy um but my point is uh getting her involved in esports or if it's not rocket league maybe it is a racing game you know where you're racing other players that would be i think something that might be highly motivating highly highly fun uh something to get into and then something to communicate about i love all these ideas i feel like we could just keep <laughs> how many episodes do you think we could do just like giving more ideas for this specific student <laughs> Oh, and one last aspect there I should mention is that uh, the Xbox has a universal controller that you can hook switches to that could have multiple switches to just do. Uh, so you hit this switch to make it go fast, the car go faster, hit this switch to brake, hit this switch to make it turn right, hit this switch to make it turn left. And they can all hook into this universal controller that can then hook to the to the Xbox. So uh, adapting how to play those games is uh, very, very, very possible. I love that, Chris. And especially for kids who are quadriplegic, like they don't have a lot of control of their environment. So imagine how exciting it would be to help them play a video game, like create an accessible video game for them. Like, you know, we take for granted the fact that we can just pick up an Xbox controller and play a game. So it's really important that we help give our students the same opportunities. I should also mention that I'm mentioning esports. Uh, there are, is also a unified esports teams. So look into she could be looking into actually playing. Like I don't know if there's certain rules about co-pilot when it comes to playing in esports, but they there might be other rules if it's a unified esports team. So uh, that could be something depending on where the student is located uh, that is in their neck of the woods and that they could be participating in. Absolutely, Chris. So many good ideas on these last two episodes. I'm super excited to share these um, and hopefully our listeners can benefit from them. If you guys love this podcast, we would love to hear from you on iTunes. You can simply find our podcast. There's some stars. You can give us some stars and even better, we would love to hear from you. Reviewing this podcast on iTunes helps more people find the podcast. And Chris and I are super passionate about spreading the message about AAC and helping support all of our SLPs and educators and parents, um, you know, in supporting students who are learning how to communicate using AAC. So we would be very grateful if you went to iTunes and left us a review. So let's listen to part two of Rachel's coaching call with Sarah Lockhart. Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. How do you know if, quote unquote, it works when you're trialing something? Because I do hear what you're saying. And I, I think realistically, personally, I'm not able to access three different types of devices. I live in a very small town. Um, so how do I know if what I'm trialing is working? What are my touch points or what skills am I looking for or what activities am I doing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the first step in answering that question is figuring out, have I chosen a system that is robust? So because the reality is most of these systems are very similar. So it's like if I'm choosing between Lamp Words for Life and Touch Chat with Word Power, you know, what is the differentiator here? Um, and as long as I'm picking a system that's robust, and I would not consider PEX to be a system that's robust. No. Um, robust means it has the ability to 
have grammatical changes and morphological changes. Um, it has the ability to have a keyboard so I can type on it. Um, you know, it has lots of different uh, part, like lots of different kinds of language, um, like parts of speech. So it has not just nouns, but it has verbs and adjectives and pronouns. You know, it has a lot of core language. Um, these are all things you're thinking about when you're thinking about what is a robust language system for AAC. So the first question is, is it robust? If it's robust, then the question becomes, you know, how do you decide if it's working or not? Um, you know, is this student using it with success? And sometimes it's like, well, they don't, they, they're not using it. That's oftentimes what happens. Like they're not using it. And my question then becomes not, did I pick the right system? Because the reality is students can learn really any system we put in front of them. And as long as it's robust, like that's, we're doing our due diligence here. Then it becomes like, why is the child not learning the system? And it typically is not the system. It's typically the support around the child. <laughs> it's typically, well, how much, my first question when the system's not working, how much modeling is the child exposed to in a given day? And I'm like, hmm. and I'm like, okay. And I'm just asking questions to gather information. I'm like, okay, um, you know, how, how comfortable does everybody on this team feel with the AAC? People are like, well, you know, and I'm starting to like suss out what is the issue here. And it's typically like we haven't, we either haven't modeled enough or we just haven't given enough time. Or the third one, actually, we haven't found anything motivating for the child to want to communicate with us. And that's a big one, because if we're trying to make it like, tell me what color it is, what is this, you know, like and a kid isn't responding to that then it might be because they don't care to talk about that, you know? And so we really do, if we're judging whether or not AAC is working or not, putting that in air quotes, we need to decide, you know, is a child actually motivated to communicate this in this situation? Does that make sense? Yes. So will you, would you take data on something like for our case study, Connor, on initiations, for example, with the different yes. systems? Would that be sufficient? Do I need data on like 50 different things? What's going on here? What am I? Okay. Let's talk about Connor specifically. So what is Connor's most favorite thing? Like something that like either you pull out or you talk about and he's like, oh my God, he's obsessed songs like Coco Melon or YouTube, uh, Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes is one okay. favorite. Okay. So that's a question that you can ask communication partners. That's what mm -hmm. I ask parents. Tell me what they're most excited about. And I'm like, cool. That's what we're going to use during the assessment. <laughs> because the reality is so many times I see reports come across my desk and it's like, well, they could they they didn't show proficiency using the AAC system to request marker colors. And I'm like, did they care what color marker they got? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So it's like what we use really matters. And so if it's Coco Melon, then mm -hmm. what I would do is I would take screenshots of his favorite songs and I would program that into the AAC. And that's where I would start. I'd be like, what song should we listen to? Should we listen to Coco Melon model or should we listen to super simple songs? You know, whatever the specific songs that he likes. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be excited because he's going to be like, oh my God, Coco Melon. Yes. Or whatever it is, you know, whatever he's excited, that's where you start. Right. So that's how to get independent initiation because I guarantee the next session you pull out the device. You don't have to say anything probably. You could probably literally pull the AAC out, maybe navigate to the music folder wherever you put the Coco Melon and just wait him out and see, will he say Coco Melon? And he probably will because most of these kids are so smart, you know, and they see a picture of their favorite song and they're like, yes, I want Coco Melon. And then you're like, oh, and then we're always thinking whatever a child's saying spontaneously we're always one step ahead of their language development. So if he says Coco Melon, I'm like, oh, you want to play Coco Melon? Yes, let's play Coco Melon. And I'm modeling one step above him because that's where he's going next with his language. And so that's where I would start. I'd start with what things that he's highly motivated and interested in. I'd try to get that independent initiation. And again, it's pretty simple when you use things that kids are motivated by. And just as a caveat here, 
you know, I'm all about, we could have, we could have modeled play for, for mm-hmm. Coco Melon, right? We could have started with teaching him how to say play to play Coco Melon. Sometimes this, this works. And over time he will learn what play means. Sometimes it doesn't work though. And I need to use things that are super salient. Like when I hear you have a student who labels everything, mm-hmm. like he's a man of details. He did, he's a details mm-hmm. man. He wants mm-hmm. to say specific things like that's not like, you know, that's not a bird. That's a parrot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you have kids that have very specific language and they have showed you that they're very into specific things, I like to use specific things that they can talk about because it tends to translate a lot easier than if I'm using core language, because sometimes kids don't, they're not thinking abstractly. They're not thinking through core language. They're thinking, I want Coco Melon, or I want that goldfish. Like I, they're not thinking eat. Now we have to teach them how to think through abstract language concepts. But the reason I say this is because in the initial stages of AAC, I want to have quick buy-in and success. And a really surefire way to get that is to focus on specific, highly motivating things. And then we transition to working on play and eat and, you know, all of this core language. Um, But sometimes I think what happens is clinicians are modeling core language and it's not sticking and they're not getting independent initiation with core language. And Mm -hmm. I think we can get that independent initiation if we use more specific things for students um, that they're really excited to see on their AAC and we've taken a photo of it. So it's super salient. Um, and it also shows communication partners like, wow, look, look at them use this device, you know, and that buy-in, that kind of morale boost that everyone's like, wow, look, this tool's going to be great for them. Like that goes a long way in the longevity of the success with AAC. Um, because if it's the opposite, if it's like, I decided to target play, but he's not really using it or he's getting confused or he's sitting all the buttons on the home screen, not play. Then what that says to the team is like, Oh, maybe this isn't going to work or, Oh, like we know that with time and practice, kids will learn whatever it is that we teach them. But, um, not everybody understands that and believes that. So I really believe in kind of quick wins with AAC if you can get them. And then we can expand on to, you know, thinking, thinking more abstractly, using more core language, things like that. Okay. And then when you were talking about robust systems, do you mind just for the SLP who's just getting started, maybe a student who's listening a CF, or even someone like me who's been avoiding doing AAC and now realizes she needs to, um, what are some examples of robust systems if we're just getting started and we want to research some systems and just know what they're called? Okay. So I will list as many as I can think of that are like really popular. Um, Lamp Words for Life is one that's really popular. Uh, Proloquo to Go, uh, Touch Chat, um, Speak for Yourself, Avaz, Cough Drop. I'm trying to think if there's other ones that I'm missing here. Those are the big one, Snapcore. I don't know if it's still called that. They've changed their name so many times. It's through Toby Dynavox. Um, Snapcore is another one. I think that's the name of it now. Um, Those are all kind of the major players in the game. Um, There's also uh, Smartbox has Grid, Grid 3, I believe. Um, That's a UK-based AAC. Um, But those are all robust, well-known, good places to start. Okay. And once we start there, obviously we don't need to use those systems, but we'll start to see the names of other systems, et cetera. So that'll be great. What are some resources, whether it's like tests, communication skills, checklists, parent interview questionnaires, rating scales that you might use during an AAC evaluation or things that um, people listening could look at? I love the communication matrix Um, that's available online and is really good at figuring out where a child's language skills are, Um, especially for emerging communicators, because you're like, well, they don't have any words. So like, what are we assessing here? Um, It really looks at and does a deep dive into gestural communication and all the different ways that a child can be communicating. So I really like that one. Um, You know, I I really like the DAG. So that is put out by uh, Toby Dynavox. I think it's the DAG 2. I think it's the DAG 2 now. Um, but anyway, that's really good for when you're working with an AAC user and you're trying to track progress over time. Um, it really breaks down all the different kind of uh, areas that you want to look at for AAC. And I, it's a free resource. And both of 
actually, I think the communication matrix, you don't have to pay a very small fee for, mm-hmm. um, but both of those are either low cost or free. Um, and I love both of those as a guide to just tracking, um, you know, some of those skills. Cause again, it's really hard when you're working with a child who maybe doesn't have any verbal speech, like what are we actually assessing as far as language is concerned? And I think that does a really good job of, uh, breaking down into more nuanced details that can be really helpful. Um, I'm trying to think of any other assessment measures. Um, I'm really just like, I really believe in just finding things that kids are motivated to talk about and just starting the trialing process. You know, like sometimes you'll talk to other AAC specialists and they'll do all types of assessment measures, like looking at, you know, what, do they understand symbolic representation and what, what size grid based on, you know, AAC Genie is a popular app that you can use during mm-hmm. AAC assessments. But I just feel like let's like cut to the chase and just use something that's motivating. And, you know, if I'm trying to figure out grid size, um, I'm using it with something that's highly motivating because otherwise like we could like have some app on an iPad where a kid has to pop a balloon and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But it's like, what if the kid doesn't care about that balloon? Like, what if they don't want to participate in that? And then all of a sudden, I'm basing my AAC recommendations off of something that's not valid to begin with versus kids obsessed with Skittles, put Skittles on that device, he'll find it, you know, he'll find it when it's super small. Um, Mm -hmm. So it just feels like it's more valid if you're finding things that kids are actually really motivated by. Um, And I do all of my assessment of like a child's skills and all those things. I do it you know, within things that are actually motivating for the student in real time, um, because I think that's the way to get the most valid assessment. And I do want to say as a side note, I worked in the schools for 14 years. This is the first year that I've worked fully in my own private practice. So I know what it's like to be busy, but I'm going to be honest, working in private practice and owning a private practice, I feel just as busy. So whereas I thought like I'd have hours to do AAC assessments, I don't. So what you're saying is just like use what you have. Like I've been wanting to email ProLoco to go people and get that. I have not done it. I have not had a spare moment. I want to do what I can for these children, but I also need to do what's possible. So I appreciate your approach of like use what you have. And if something works, keep going. And keep adding, adding on to that process. Um, As we are working with kids who are just starting to maybe find some success with an AAC system, knowing that we can kind of try what, what we can and what we have available to us. um, What are some activities or some motivating activities, for example, for some of your students, like you gave us that wonderful example of the dragon app that a lot of kids use. Could you maybe give me an example of like a recent session and an activity that was engaging for a specific learner? Um, yes. So let me, I kind of wanted to, to pivot a little bit for this question because I find that this is the best way to figure out how to target language with AAC and it starts with looking at how kids are communicating nonverbally because our kids with complex communication needs are communicating all the time with nonverbal communication. They're bringing the remote to you to say, I want to watch TV. Right? So it's like if a child's already demonstrating nonverbal communication, it's a really easy transition to just give them language to use instead of the gesture or the action or whatever it is that they're doing. And so that's the first step is like, if you want language that actually sticks, start with what kids are already communicating non-verbally because it's amazing to see how these kids learn how to compensate for lack of verbal speech or consistent access to verbal speech. And so I'd say start off there. Um, You know, the other thing is, what I do in my sessions and, and, and typically we're working with kids with what feels like very limited interests and motivations. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I hear that all the time is like, well, they're not motivated by anything. That's not true. Kids are literally always motivated by something, even if it's just to not participate in whatever therapy activity or, you know, classroom activity is going on. So teach them how to protest, (laughs) you know, (laughs) teach them how to say, no, stop, all done. This is boring. Um, but the first step, whenever I'm thinking about what kind of therapy activity should I think about, or it's just observing the student. Like, mm-hmm. what does the student do when no one else is around? You can also ask this to communication partners. When you're not having them do anything, what do they do? 
And I'm like, oh, they watch this YouTube video over and over again. Or, oh, like they jump on the trampoline or, oh, they run around the house. I don't know what they do. You know, it, it gives us a lot of insight. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So this kid's really motivated by sensory stuff. So that's going to help shape where I go with that kid. Cause I'm like, well, maybe I'll try shaving cream with them or, you know, something else. Cause I know based on that question, kids really into sensory seeking, you know, it's showing sensory seeking behavior. They're really into sensory input. Um, so I'd say that like the therapy activities kind of are guided by a child, what a child is showing me, um, or what a communication partner, like a parent or a teacher is telling me about a child. Um, that's kind of where I, I go. And you'd be really, you'd be, it's really interesting to see if the first part of your session, you just watch. Mm-hmm. Like we don't often do that because we're like so busy. We're like, oh, hey, you're coming in. You're missing. You're in a speech room. Like, let's do bubble. Let's do this. What do you want to do? It's like just have some things out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like I like take a step back. I like pretend to be on my phone or whatever, and I'm just observing. And you'd be really, it's really interesting and eye opening to see what kids gravitate towards, um, and that gives a lot of insight into what kinds of therapy activities and targets. Because it's like if they're interested in this thing, well, what's kind of similar to this thing but not exactly the same? That's how I'm oftentimes choosing activities for students. Right. So this is a different student, but now I have to, if you don't mind, pick your brain. I have a child who will line up things by colors. So like um, the, he loves the swords in the pop, the pirate. He loves the color stacking toy. He loves colored blocks and he'll put them all on one side of the room and then walk to the other side of the room and line them up in a specific way that only he knows that isn't the same every time, always from left to right. And I'm trying to find how do I engage in that when it seems like that's really a solo activity, (laughs) you know, like he he doesn't want me to engage in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really tough one because like, especially if it's, there's no clear pattern, you're kind of like, Mm -hmm. cool, I try to participate, but it seems like there's something in your brain and I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what it is. Um, you know, I sometimes will, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes when we try to push into what a child is doing, they're kind of like, get lost. This is my thing. Um, but yes, he will walk me. He will walk me to the other side of the room, like go over there. So then I'll sit there for a minute and then I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what, for this student start messing with his routine, not like in a way that's really going to make him upset, Mm -hmm. but get him, get him to, to say, stop, like Mm -hmm. target that. Like protesting. I don't want you to touch my stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is my time. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, that's following what, you know, he probably would want to say in that situation. And again, we're following his nonverbal communication. He's pulling you and like saying, go over here. I don't want Mm -hmm. you here. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. So like what language can we attach to that nonverbal communication that he's showing us? Um, And so I'd say that, but also let's take into consideration all the things we know about him stacking toys and colors. So Mm -hmm. maybe I don't, maybe I don't push, push into that activity because he's like, get lost. That's mine. But maybe I take the fact that he really likes colors And maybe I can create an activity where he has Mm -hmm. to communicate what color happens next, or like he has to, you know, do something where colors are involved or Mm -hmm. some type of order. I'm hearing also he likes order and patterns. And so it's like taking all of that information and then deciding to introduce activities that have those elements, because Mm -hmm. I know based on what he's showing me when no one else is around or no one's bothering him, these are the types of things he likes to do. Um, So it just gives me a launching off point to figure out like, Oh, like, you know, maybe I'll, there's like a, a app called baby piano. I have another student who loves like putting colors in the same order and all these things. And he actually really loves that app because it's every key is a different color and it makes a noise. And so it's just like, that's an example of how we can take what a child's into and then change it slightly. But, you know, we take the elements of what they're excited about and then try to build off of that when we're thinking about therapy ideas. And he only has walked me away once. Um, He'll let me give him the swords, but I'm thinking in addition to rejection, we could work on like turn, like my turn, like I could be stacking it up. And if he wants the materials, he could say want my turn or whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or give, give is give. a good one. That would be a great give one. Is a good one. And, and the, my turn, your turn is hard because sometimes kids get really confused by that. Yeah. Um, and, good and oftentimes they don't want to be doing turn taking. They're like, this no. is my thing. Like stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I tend not to work on the turn taking, uh, right sense. away, although it depends kind of the situation. Um, yeah. you know, but I feel like give is a really salient. You can give a visual cue of holding your hand out to cue. Um, That feels like a really easy one to potentially target. The other thing is if you find clear patterns, like disrupt the pattern, sabotage the pattern and see what happens. Um, So for example, I have a kid who, I feel like we all have kids who loves alphabet puzzles, Mm -hmm. loves putting the puzzles in the exact order. They start with A, they go B, C, so, you know, giving them the wrong letter. So like, I'm in charge of the letters. You tell me what letter. I know you know your letters, but if I, if you want B and I give you F, you're, what's a child going to do? They're going to like push it away. Or they're going to put it somewhere else. They're going to say like, that's not right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. B. I need Rachel. Mm-hmm. And so having them specify what they want, but also it's a great opportunity to model. Oh, you want a different one. You want a different one. That's a good concept to teach different. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave you one, but you want something different. Um, it's also a great way to target no. So like putting mm-hmm. putting a puzzle piece in the wrong spot mm-hmm. and saying like, no, it doesn't work there. No, it doesn't work there. No, it doesn't work there. Yes, it fits mm-hmm. here. Um, another great activity to kind of target some of those early developing concepts. But um, yeah, I would just say take whatever it is that you are kind of observing about this student and figuring out ways to just model language that he would want to say. Another great question for communication partners is if they had consistent access to communicating, what would they say right now? Like, what Mm -hmm. would it be that you hear from them? I was just on a call earlier this morning with a mom and she was talking about her morning routine and she was saying, oh, we say good morning. I model good morning on the device and then brush our teeth and get out of bed. And she like has all this beautiful morning routine. So and I'm sweet. like, great job, mom, for like, mm-hmm. you know, taking a hard part of the day and trying to model language for your child. But my question was like, do you think he actually cares about saying good morning? Do you think he wants to say that to you? And some kids, maybe they do. Maybe they're really socially motivated and they'd love to say good morning. But she's like, no. And I was like, if he had words, what would he say when you wake him up in the morning? She's like, he'd say, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm tired. And I'm like, okay. So like every other teenager. So, you know, give him those words. Teach him how to say those words because those are the words that he actually wants to communicate to you. Instead of pushing against kids and saying, I want you to say good morning, you know, mm-hmm. like if a kid doesn't want to say good morning, we need to figure out what he wants to say. And so it's a perfect example of how this morning routine was beautiful, but that's not going to translate or generalize because we're not actually picking things that he really wants to say in that moment. Um, not to say we, we don't, we can't model language to just get exposure to saying good morning and things like that. We can, but we also need to figure out in this situation, what does this, this child actually want to say? And it's not good morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's screw you. Let me sleep. Exactly. Um, it's like, get out of my room. I like want to hit my snooze button, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, as we wrap up, I, I kind of wrote down seven just summary little golden nuggets um, from today. And as I go through them, feel free to add on or correct me. Sure. Um, but here's what we talked about today. So number one, use what you have. Use what your community is familiar with. Don't feel like you have to do like the best AAC evaluation ever with tons of things. See what's available to you. What are people familiar with and judge success based on, for example, in our kid with Connor, is he initiating? Is he using this? Has it been modeled? Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Next, observe the child. What do they do? What do they like to do? What are they doing when we don't have demands and we aren't putting our agenda on them? And then make AAC a part of that. Yes, exactly. Love that. And also just that should guide your therapy targets because it's Mm -hmm. always like, what words do I choose? You know, we have an AAC system has hundreds of words. What words do you choose? like what words would they choose if they had 
again, consistent access to their communication, what would they say? And it takes some investigation work too. It's not always easy. It takes a lot of communicating with parents and, you know, observing and things like that. But if you start what, if you start there, you're way more likely to have success. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, these are seven things and I will write them all out in the show notes. So if you're listening, you don't have to write them down. Um, next is do a communication partner interview and consider some questions like, what do they love? If the child could say something right now, what would they say? Yeah. Um, Next, within routines, um, once you are working with the child, think about ways to not, you know, work beyond requesting, to work on rejection, no, not different. Um, But also think of ways to disrupt the pattern, to use those core words like give and different. Yeah, absolutely. I sometimes like that's the most motivating thing for kids is to just like, help them say that they don't like something. They don't want mm-hmm. something to happen. You know, we, we kind of forget about that. And that's why like when people say, he's not motivated by anything. He doesn't do anything all day. I'm like, yeah. So let's teach him how to say, at least he doesn't want to do that. You know, he yeah. doesn't like it. And then we can even expand. It's like, are you bored right now? Do you not like it? Is it too hard? There's lots of opportunities there to get kids, you know, communicating more, um, more specifically about what it is that they don't like. And those can be really empowering, you know, strategies for students. Mm -hmm. And it's giving autonomy to a student who, you know, before they had their AAC device didn't have a lot of autonomy, especially for like, you're saying like specificity, like maybe they could cry if they were upset, but it, it, it wasn't as clear as maybe they wished it would be. Um, Number six, um, the add one more, I really liked consider it considering more from a language perspective. Um, I don't have to start and just do go. I could do go melon or something like that. If he's saying melon, I'm going to add one more and I'm going to use my SLP hat and all that grad school <laughs> that we're still paying the bills off for. for um, and I'm going to use that language strategy to add one more and to just continue the activity. And I'm not going to force them to use it, but that's what I'm going to model. Exactly. And the, the key to that is tracking spontaneous language. Because we mm. want to build off of what kids are already saying. And sometimes kids aren't saying anything. So we need to start with single words, right? We have to start with things that are motivating, like the cocoa melon. Um, but yeah, the important thing there is just tracking the spontaneous language and building one step above. Because sometimes kids can say cocoa melon with a prompt, but mm-hmm. that's I really want to get more independent initiation before I expand to having them build sentences or working on new vocabulary words. I want to get them good at communicating the specific things that I know they're interested in um, without high levels of prompting from me. Um, and that's why I like the spontaneous language tracking because it does exactly that. And then you can build, again, one step above what a child's showing you spontaneously. Okay. And then number seven, the last one to just think about language therapy. Don't get too caught up in that. It's a different kind of therapy. Do your language therapy, consider, you know, your robust AAC system as a support, but play is going to guide what you do. And all the language stuff that we know and we work on every day, all day, um, that's going to guide the targets and our, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It really is just language therapy with the added layer of modeling on an AAC system. Um, And so sometimes, and that's a a skill that we need to learn and practice. It's not so intuitive and easy, um, but it really is just use everything you know about language therapy and you just have to get more strategic about the words that you're modeling with intention um, just because it often takes our AAC learners a long time to learn the language that perhaps a late talker would learn pretty quickly. Um, And so being strategic about what vocabulary are we targeting, I think is really important too. And is there anything that I didn't ask or that you would add? Um, Just I'm kind of thinking of an SLP listening, realizing, yay, I feel empowered. I can use what I have available to me. I know that I'm going to observe and see what they're interested in. I know I'm going to work on words that they that are a part of that routine. I know I'm going to add one more and think about tracking their language. I know I'm going to if I have time interview communication partners. Maybe if you work in a school, that means, you know, watching them in class if you can, or talking to the teacher. Um, Anything else 
that we didn't cover that they should know? The one other thing that we didn't cover is that you can do this. <laughs> and I think that everybody feels like AAC is this huge kind of vast area mm -hmm. of our field. And that's true. There is a ton to know about AAC. And especially when you think about all the technologies and they're always updating and changing, you know, it's impossible to know everything there is to know about AAC. I eat, live and breathe AAC and I don't know everything there is to know. So I think just recognizing that whatever is that you can start doing right now for your students with complex communication needs, that is enough. And the fact that, you know, you can continue to learn and grow and listen to podcasts like this, you know, you will continue to grow your skills over time. Um, but the biggest mistake people make is they, they, they don't get started because they feel like they can't do it perfectly or they don't know enough to do it. And I'm here to tell you, you know, we can't wait to get started. We have to just start with what we know. And that's enough. That's enough to give kids exposure to AAC and access to more words. You know, we can refine all of those things over time um, about the things that we don't know about AAC. Um, you'll never know everything, but you can do this and you can get started. And it's not as overwhelming and daunting, I think, as everybody kind of makes it out to be in their heads. Mm -hmm. And you'll never know how to do it if you don't start doing it. And if it's messy and icky and gross, that's okay because that's how we learn. Totally, totally. And everything's Googleable. Just like <laughs> hit a Google search. Like Absolutely. you'll find you can't I can't tell you how many times when I was starting to like really like deep dive into AAC and learn about it. I didn't know something and I was like, Google can help me, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like we figure out how to find the answers to the problems that we have and you know, we collaborate with other professionals and we learn that way. And you know, there's so many things you can do to learn, and so you just have to get started and just you know, always be curious to learn and keep growing. Mm -hmm. And if someone is listening to this and they want to learn more from you, where can they do that? The best place is probably my website, rachelmadel.com. I have a ton of resources. I have a ton of video content if you want to learn more. Um, Talking with Tech is my podcast. It's that website's talkingwithtech.org. Uh, we have four years of content Every week, we've basically posted in the last four years episodes, uh, you know, all about AAC. Um, and so that's another great resource. And then the only other place that I am frequently frequenting a lot is social media. I'm big on Instagram at Rachel Madel SLP. Um, so I'd love for you to follow me there. And actually, we've been building out my highlight section of Instagram because I feel like I get a ton of questions from, you know, all of our listeners on the podcast and people who follow me and I was using my stories as a way to share answers to some of those questions and realized that I should probably like have a place where people can refer back to. Um, so we've really built out my Instagram highlights uh, on my Instagram profile to really answer a lot of the questions that perhaps your listeners are thinking, you know, as they're going through AAC and trying to figure out what's what. Um, so definitely check it out uh, on Instagram. That sounds great. Thank you, Rachel. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you thinking of me. You'll have to keep me posted. I want to know how it goes with our man, Connor. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know how it goes. Thank you.